Hey there, it's Danny Eney. I'm the executive producer at Miracy FM, which is the network that publishes the show you're about to listen to. In my day job, I show coaches and consultants in my Hybrid Course University program how to teach their gift through hybrid online courses. We only enroll one cohort of students into the program each year and work with them to build an online course around their expertise to create more leverage in their businesses. That enrollment is happening this month, and the doors will only be open for a few days, from May 22nd through 25th. So if you want to learn more about the program, and maybe get on the notification list so you can join when the doors open, head over to miracy.fm slash hcu. And now, on to our show. Miracy. Hi, and welcome to For Better or For Work. This is a show that explores what it's like to run a business together as a couple. I'm Rob Walling. And I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. Rob and I wrote the book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, How to Run Your Business Without Letting It Run You, and also created the Zen Founder Podcast. Today, we're going to listen and react to Danny Eney and Bumi Patak's conversation about money. Money? <laughs> this should be a good one. It's going to be fun. All right. So our topic today is how do we talk about money? Sweetie, how do we talk about money? Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah, money. I mean, people, like it doesn't matter if you're in an entrepreneurial relationship or not, but in any relationship, you're going to have two people and they're both going to have different ways of thinking about money. So you're always going to have differences, you know, like I remember Danny, when you and I got together, and we started talking to our you know, family and friends and introducing each other. One of the most common things we'd hear from them was, you know, Danny's Jewish and you're Hindu. How are you guys going to raise your kids? You know, what if religion will become an issue? And we thought about it. We had a conversation about it. And at the end, we decided, I don't think that religion is going to be an issue. But no one ever said that money is going to be an issue because you both grew up in very different contexts and you have very different beliefs about money. I don't think we even realized to what extent we were different. We had the kind of like, you know, bold naivete of youth. It's like, no, we're not, we're not going to fight about religion. That's not going to be an issue. And in fact, that has been the case. Yes, I don't think we've, we've never... ever had a disagreement <laughs> about that. But neither you or I nor anybody else saw coming the enormous amount of disagreements and challenges we've had negotiating our different styles about money. Although, I mean, the data shows it's one of the, you know, top five things that couples fight about. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's to be expected. And when you're working together, there's an added dimension of business finances as well as our personal finances too. And also as entrepreneurs, we have a lot more sort of potential, at least for variability in terms of our incomes, which if another couple who both have jobs um, and job security, they, there, is, there just isn't that much uncertainty there. Whereas uh, when you run a business together, there could be uncertainty in terms of how is this launch going to do? How is profitability going to look this year? So there's just a lot more uncertainty when you're an entrepreneurial couple when it comes to money? Well, it's not just variability per se. It's that the math is different. So, you know, if, if you and I both had like, you know, regular grown-up person jobs, then... Are we not grown-ups? I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> sort of starting to feel like one, but not really. <laughs> you know, you think you're going to feel like one when you have your first employer. You think you're going to feel like one when you get married or when you have kids or we have... Uh, a marriage, a mortgage, multiple mortgages, in fact, two kids, 100 employees. I still don't really feel like a grown-up, but, you know, I, I'm getting there. 
But maybe if I had a grown-up job, I would. So who knows, right? That's that's the only box <laughs> I, I guess think we'll I haven't punched. But anyway, back from the tangent, if we both had kind of regular, typical, professional jobs, then you know we would still have very different financial styles. I'm generally more. I don't love the languaging around risk tolerance. But we can explore that. But I'm bolder and more creative <laughs> when it comes to money. So we have these different styles, but the basic math is the same. I mean, fundamentally, you know, a budget in a household, you have a revenue line, which is fixed. You have expenses, which are variable. And if you can work a spreadsheet with any degree of competence, then you get to a place where X minus Y is greater than zero. And you make decisions around what do I want to allocate to savings versus different expenses and stuff like that. But the equation is not that complicated. As an entrepreneurial couple running a business, and we're not talking about like, you know, a big giant business with a, you know, long-term, mature, super stable revenue base. That's just not how most businesses are. With a business, you've got these two different line items that just work very differently. So expenses, you can comfortably project to infinity, right? You're going to pay rent this year, next year, the year after. You're going to pay your expense. Like, you know, you know those are ongoing. But revenues, you can only project for a limited amount of time your revenue, your cash in a business, you know, it, it just drops off over time. And so you're looking at a, a cash flow, you know, spreadsheet or equation where if you look far enough out, you're always going to be in the red, right? There's no scenario where you're running a business and you look, you know, maybe not months, hopefully, but 6, 12, 18, 24 months or more into the future on just booked revenue and booked expenses, and it doesn't go into the red. And, you know, that exacerbates the differences because if you're on the bold, creative kind of side, where you're more comfortable living a little closer to the edge, you're more comfortable with some debt in service of things that you're taking on, et cetera, then okay, you can kind of sort of navigate it. But on the other hand, if you're like, well, no, we can't lose money. We have to be cash positive. We have to be saving. Well, there is no amount of, of finagling that equation that will get you to a place where on current booked expenses and revenues, two years from now, you're not in the red. And so that can be very stressful. I mean, even for the person who is more comfortable with kind of that dynamic. So, I mean, sweetie, this was very new to you when you kind of came into this context. You came from, you know, you've been in the corporate world forever. You had good, high paying, you had the grown up jobs. What was it like for you coming into this dynamic? You're right. So having worked in corporate for a number of years and, you know, when I was in the consulting realm, I was on the management team of my service department. So I would see sort of like, here are the projects coming down the pipeline. Here's how many people we have on the team. Here are their salaries. But it never occurred to me that they wouldn't be able to pay my salary. <laughs> you know, and then when I moved to working with you, sweetie, we had employees and we were paying their salaries. And when the looking at the cash was like, oh, oh, it's dipping into red. It's like, oh, shit, we need to figure this out. Otherwise, we won't be able to pay salaries. And there's no money tree or anything like that that we'll be able to go to. So. Yeah, that was an interesting realization for me. I thought it was funny that it never occurred to me when I was in the consulting firm, but that, you know, it became very real all of a sudden when we were working together. And so, like for me, I tend to be a very analytical person. So for me, it was about getting visibility and having good reports in place so that we're not surprised, right? And we want to be able to know months in advance when we're dipping into red so we can uh, change things. I don't like surprises when it comes to money. So setting up systems and, and structures so that we have the visibility so we can make good decisions was really important. I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back on that a little bit, or at least I'm going to kind of like put a yes and on that because absolutely 100%. And, you know, I agree with you. We're 
visibility and clarity and reporting, those are very important, right? The way a lot of people run their businesses where they're basically flying blind. They don't know how much money is in the bank or what's coming in, what's going out. Like that's just insane to me. And so that's very important. And that's something that doesn't have to be that hard to learn. So the management and tracking of your, your numbers in a business is hard until you learn, then it's not hard. So I'm with you 100%. That reporting and clarity and visibility is really important. But even when you have those things, sometimes the reports are going to say things that are not encouraging, right? It's much better to have the report saying you're going to run out of money in 90 days than not to have the report. But the fact is you're still running out of money in 90 days. And then there are all the differences in style of you know, how long of a cash runway are or aren't you comfortable with? And what are the options that you would consider in those scenarios? And are you very attracted to upside? And, and how much risk are you willing to go into to get there? And like all those kinds of questions. And that's where I don't think it was just a matter of, well, I had to get used to the environment and I had to oh, put no, some agree. systems in I place agree, because, I, where, you know, sometimes know. the reports say bad things. Yeah, I know. And where I was going with that was that having sort of the systems is sort of like a baseline, you know, just having visibility is important for both parties, uh, for sure. But what I was saying is that there are a lot of decisions that need to be made in business. Many of them, or if not most of them, I guess, have a financial element to it. And so it's just the number of decisions you're making about money as a couple exponentially grows if you're in business together versus if you were not in business together. And so there's a lot of opportunity. And there are bigger decisions with you know, bigger ramifications. And it just means that there's a lot of room for issues to come out. My dad was an entrepreneur. And I knew his successful practice, but he was also an accountant, right? So he was super conservative and he was great at managing money. And so I never felt the ups and downs of running a business from that perspective. Because there's a lot more opportunity for a lot of decisions to be made that range from, are we comfortable investing in something that we're only going to see return in the next six to 12 months? Are we comfortable taking on debt if we need to do so? Are we comfortable how close to the edge we are comfortable being? My comfort level was like, I want 5 to 10% net profit every year, and I want to not be in uh, red for at least you know, six months. And like, those were not targets that we were going to meet because of some decisions that we were making in terms of like how aggressively we want to grow and how much we want to invest. And personally speaking, I also do not like debt. And so there are a lot of these decisions that need to be made, which means that there are a lot more opportunities for differences to be uh, exacerbated. I suppose. And I remember when you and I started making decisions about business finances and stuff, and I'm like, well, and you don't even realize that those are beliefs unless someone is, and not facts, unless someone like pushes back, right? So for me, it was, what do you mean we can, we don't need to have profits in the business? What do you mean we're going to take on debt? In the short term, to be clear, I was talking about like for a limited window. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, MBA, finance, accounting background, like, you want a strong balance sheet. And in order to get a strong balance sheet, you need a strong PL. And so that's the frame of reference that I was coming from. And so that led to a lot of disagreements. And these are not even when things go wrong, right? This is just like baseline coming into it. Whereas I think, you know, your background, sweetie, and the, the way you were raised, you had a very different sort of approach towards managing money. Would you want to share a little bit about like how? Yeah. So, I mean, my family, it's a family of entrepreneurs. My grandfather and his brother were entrepreneurs. My dad's cousins were entrepreneurs. His brother and sisters are entrepreneurs. It's just my dad who's like super not. Um, but he did work he has, in the family business. It skipped a generation. So my dad both has the training and risk tolerance of an accountant. But that being said, my family is very entrepreneurial. And 
I've been entrepreneurial too my whole life. I quit school when I was 15 to start my first business. And depending on how you count and measure, I was an entrepreneur already at that point for, for a few years. So it's kind of the only context that I've ever known. But I want to come back to something you said around there are more of these decisions in terms of frequency, and they're also bigger decisions, right? If you have two partners who have jobs, then how many big financial decisions do they have to make in a given year, right? Maybe you're looking to buy a new home or you're going to refinance or move into a different place you're renting. So that's one big financial decision, right? Maybe you're going to buy a car, right? Or lease a car. So that's a second big financial decision. Maybe you know, you're going to have some big unexpected expense. Your, your roof has to be replaced. Maybe you want to plan a vacation, right? Maybe you have to arrive at some kind of agreement on how much are we spending and how much are we saving. So this is starting to shape up to be actually a financially very busy year. And we're looking at maybe five big decisions. Whereas, you know, with an entrepreneurial context, and you could be making a decision of that magnitude every few weeks. That's not unusual. And Often the decisions will be, you know, as big or bigger because just, you know, business involves working with larger numbers, especially as you're growing. And so you have to get alignment on the individual decisions, but you also have to get alignment on kind of a shared philosophy of how you're going to approach managing your money. And that can be very hard to, hard to even spell out and make it explicit. And it's also hard to do. We had um, quite a turning point, I think, in our relationship personally, but also working together when we, this was, a, I forget when, because time is like a blur to me, but a few years ago, we went away for a long weekend and we went for a lot of long walks and did a lot of talking. And there was this book that we were using as a curriculum. Do you remember that? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I want to say like the precursor to that was we went through a period where we had things not work out in our business. We tried to expand it a different service line. It didn't work out and we ended up taking on a lot of debt. And things were going okay. Like we would not love our financial discussions, but they weren't like massive arguments or uh, anything like that. But anyways, when things went south, 2018, 2019, major initiative that we were, you know, betting on, not working out, needing to take on more debt, needing to restructure our team. Um, and, and so that, you know, brought up a lot of uh, like deep-seated money issues, I think probably for both of us, um, that we were able to kind of just you know, um, ignore for the most part <laughs> when things were working okay. And so um, we ended up seeking help. We did some therapy and our therapist recommended a book called The Heart of Money, which essentially talks about uncovering your money beliefs and communicating it with your partner and getting on the same page and, and better understanding about each other's money beliefs. So what used to happen before we went to this therapist and did this money work was that I would say something that I'm like, this is a fact, this is how it should be. And then Danny would challenge me on it. And it's like, well, what do you mean you don't agree with that? Like, help me understand how that even makes sense. Like it was, it was, and I'm, I'm sure you were thinking about it the same way when I was growing up stuff or when you were growing up stuff. So it's, uh, it was almost like we were speaking different languages. Yeah. It's like we had all these unspoken rules about money that we were using in our conversation but we were not making the rules explicit. So a rule for me and doing the work, I realized like having financial security is important for me. And financial security means having money in the bank, having money in my retirement account, um, not worrying about mortgage payments. Um, and when you own a business together, you have your business is your source of personal income too, right? So there is no other source of personal income. So if the business is not working well, it's going to have an impact on your personal lifestyle. And that, at that time, was really freaking me out. 
and which resulted in not very productive conversations, a lot of, you know, not feeling understood um, and, and fights. And, and it got to a point where, you know, we didn't want to talk about business finances. And, you know, when you're, you're business partners, you cannot not talk about business finances. That just doesn't work. And, and I'm sure you weren't looking forward to these conversations either. No, I, I, I agree. I was, not, <laughs> I was not looking forward to those conversations either. Yeah. And so we ended up and at that point, you know, like something you said, sweetie, that resonated with me was like, look, whatever the business situation is, it's going to get resolved one way or the other. Either we're going to pull through and figure it out or not. And then we'll have to figure something else out. But if we want to stay married, our relationship is there. It is still going to be there. Right. And the way we treat each other during this time is going to have an impact on how we see each other after the business storm has passed. And so that kind of made me uh, more mindful of how I was treating you. So rather than having sort of like, you know, the very reactionary, what are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? Shifting that to above anything else, I care about you as a person and I want to stay married to you. How can we make this work so that our relationship doesn't get damaged? And that's when we decided to sort of seek help. Um, and so, yeah, we worked with a therapist. Uh, she recommended this book. And then we took uh, a weekend away where, you know, we took long walks and we, we talked about sort of our money beliefs and the way we're wired and what's important to us. And it was really illuminating. I think at that point, we'd probably been married for five years, probably five, six years. We talked about things that I, we hadn't talked about in all those years of knowing each other. I mean, it, it helped me kind of dig deeper into like, why do I believe the things that I believe? And where is this coming from? And is the context in which I started believing these things, is, is it still relevant? You know, a lot of our beliefs are formed when we're young, oftentimes when we're vulnerable or we don't have a lot of power because we're little. So anyway, examining these beliefs, examining the context in which they formed versus now and what was required now is different. And just realizing that and doing, and so it was not just about understanding, Danny, your money beliefs were and why you said things the way you said them and how they made sense. But it was also just understanding sort of my beliefs and why I was saying things and whether that still made sense or not was really helpful. Yeah, it was about getting to know each other better, but also getting to know ourselves better and being able to kind of sometimes renegotiate beliefs that, you know, we may have had for a long time, but didn't really serve us. It was a very rewarding experience and we came out of it a lot closer. Not, not to mention much better able to work together <laughs> to solve business problems. So. Like having that alignment, then all the decision-making, all the confrontational issues kind of go away. It just becomes a matter of, well, okay, how do we do that? And, you know, what are the short-term versus long-term trade-offs? And what does this mean in terms of uh, risks? And if we're taking risks, how do we cover or protect our downsides so that each of us can feel good? So like for me, it ended up being that I needed to be socking away a certain amount of money per month. So like that and getting sort of specific like that really helps. So for me, it was an interesting kind of lesson to learn, which is that, you know, I can live on very little and that's fine. And I like to just kind of save all the rest. Whereas, you know, I married you, sweetie, and you like to, you love to spend money. I don't know that I'd say I love to spend money, but I love to enjoy the things that spending money allows me to enjoy. Yeah, like you will always come up with more ways to spend money, regardless of how much money we make. I feel like you would always... Well, I'll always Fine. come up with more interesting, interesting and fun uses. things to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's okay because we're different people. I think, it's, I think it's great. But anyway, so I had to kind of get specific with that amount because 
I don't care how much we spend as long as we're saving X dollars. And so that seemed to have worked. That seems to be working for us. And over time, you know, I feel like we're a lot closer now in terms of how we think about making money decisions and money in general than, uh, than we've been in the past. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that you're set for life in terms of accepting each other's differences. Like, you know, marriage is a process. But I don't know, Bumi, I can't speak for you. I've never revisited the book. I've never revisited the book, but I have revisited the concepts. And there's yeah. a mindfulness about it. I think a few years ago, what I needed from a security perspective in terms of, you know, money in the bank has changed for me over the last few years. Um, but I think it started with identifying the beliefs and understanding what's serving me, what's not. And then continuing the journey from there in terms of like, you know, every time we have a, uh, I don't know, a big success or a big fail, I suppose, you know, money issues keep coming up, right? Anytime we make a big investment decision, like all those beliefs keep coming up. But now I'm able to be more like, oh yeah, I know where that is coming from and it's not relevant anymore and I can just move on. So I guess these conversations in my head keep coming up, but I'm able to um, redirect them probably more efficiently. And also, I've also become a lot more accepting of what it's going to be and understanding that I can control. You know, a lot of my money issues also stem from my need to control what happens to me and control my destiny. And I think over the last few years, I've grown less attached to needing to control and more okay with whatever happens and whatever shows up. And yeah, we run a business or if you have a job, it doesn't really matter. Life can throw unexpected surprises at you. And that's just how it's going to be. Things are always changing. And if things change, I'm okay with change and we will figure out together how to deal with things. Um, so I think as I've grown more in sort of like, I don't need so much control. I'm okay with what's going to come my way or what's going to come our way. I'm going to flow with what happens. I feel less the need for security and control. And that at least has been my journey. That was beautiful, sweetie. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that stood out to me, at least in the beginning of their conversation, was a little bit of surprise around the difficulty of this topic. And of course, for me as a psychologist, that's actually not at all a surprise, knowing that money is one of the things that couples have tension about or fight about or really have to work out. And I think one of the things that underlies that difficulty is the, the fact that money gets at some of our most basic fears, our most basic needs for security, for trust. And so, of course, it's a pretty hot button topic for a lot of people. I loved their work around identifying their money stories and how their money stories were sort of playing out in their relationship. We've done some similar kind of work. Yeah. I made a note, actually, that I, I wished we had done that earlier. Like the only times that I remember you and I having disagreements about money were years ago and they were at the beginning of our marriage. It was when money was a lot more scarce. We have much more, it's much more abundant now. And then we also got used to how the other thinks about money, you know, but you and I took a test. We actually got a book. I had to look it up. It's called five money conversations to have with your kids at every age and stage. And so I remember talking to the boys and we walked through it and they're like, okay. And then there was this money personality test and we got five codes for it. And so you and I took it as well. And I wished we'd done that at the beginning of the marriage because it, it, it really nailed the two of us. I was frugal risk taker and you were frugal saver. I grew up working class, like without a lot of money. And, and I had times on food stamps. So money was very, very scarce in my family. So both of us were very frugal. 
but I just find it interesting that it just nails it. It's like I was the one who was starting companies, trying to anyways, you know, three years into our marriage. And you were always a good saver and a good steward of money. Yeah, I was much more conservative, but money also represented safety to me. And I wanted to know that I could be safe. And I think we heard that in in Danny and Boomi's conversation too, like the way that control and safety and savings was so important for her as she was, you know, sort of tolerating risk within an entrepreneurial life. And I think what's unfolded over time in our relationship, Rob, is my growing ability to trust your decision making. You know, the first business you bought, what did you write? Like a $5,000 check? And it was like, wow, that was a lot of money for us at one point. But then the next check was $50,000. And then the next check was 500,000, whatever it was. They just kept getting bigger. But each of those incremental jumps was accompanied by accumulating trust and experience. And, you know, this sense that your decisions were reasonable. And so that's why money isn't such a hot button issue for us now, 25 years into this relationship, because we've got so much time to sort of watch and trust and understand the decision-making of the other person. I often touch on exactly what you've just said when entrepreneurs ask me about onboarding their spouse. You and I actually recorded a Zen Founder episode called Onboarding Your Spouse, but folks will say, well, how do I convince my spouse that I'm going to work nights and weekends for six months or that I'm going to invest $5,000 in ads or $20,000 into buying this business? Or, you know, someone said $100,000 in something. I said, well, don't start at 100. Start small. Get a win. Because what happened, so I spent $11,000 on that first business. Scared the crap out of me. I was terrified. But it started making 1000 bucks a month. Like I grew it. It was making a couple hundred and I grew it to 1000 And And I was like, look, this almost makes our house payment, you know, in LA. And you were like, ah, that's really neat. And I was doing it on the side, right? Nights and weekends. And that allowed you to have the confidence. The next check I recall, right? There were a bunch of small checks after that. But yeah, there was like a $31,000 check that I wrote. I don't know. It was small, then it was medium, then it was big, whatever. Yep. <laughs> But that took years. You have to earn the trust, I think, if you're going to be the risk taker. And I think you earn that trust through conversation, like through understanding what money represents and through really listening to what your partner is needing. So when they are apprehensive about the check that you want to write, maybe they're cautious about the risk that you want to take. It's not that they don't believe in you or love you or want good things for them but it's that it triggers some kind of security warning, right? The warning buttons are going off in their brain and they're like, this doesn't feel safe. This doesn't feel safe. But the next conversation beyond that is then what does feel safe if we save a certain amount of money every month? And I know for you and I, at one point in our journey, there was just a number in our bank account that we were like, we're never going below this. We're never going below this. It's It was whatever, three months mortgage or something. It was just a number that felt totally reasonable. As long as that was there, we were both kind of like, do what you want. I mean, you know, take risks. But that level of security was important. And so the question of like what then feels safe to you matters a lot. Yeah. And I recall at the beginning of our marriage, we had a budget. Like, I think I probably brought that in because I was like, we really need to know what's coming in and out. And we did that for like six months, 12 months. And then we both had decent jobs. And so we had a, I remember we had a kind of budget for a while where it's like, well, as long as like not more than whatever the number was, $1,500 goes on the personal credit card each month or a thousand or something, we kind of know what all our other expenses are. And that's our big variable. And then at a certain point, it didn't matter. I can't remember the last time like you and I had an actual disagreement. It's not like we're, we're not filthy rich, but there, there's just enough, right? I think that frugal thing 
that mm-hmm. both of us have helps. I think if one of us was a, like one of our sons, he doesn't have frugal, he has spender <laughs> in his personality, the, like on the test. I think we would have more conflict if one of us was like that. Yeah, I think we would. And we both spend money on different things. We value different things with money. I spend money on travel. I spend money on experiences. I spend money on like, I'm a circus artist. So I spend all kinds of money on training and, you know, classes and those kinds of things. You spend money on collectibles. You also spend money on convenience, on meals. You know, we just, we have different ways of spending money, but neither of them feel so outlandish. And, you know, nobody's buying a $10,000 handbag because our values are pretty united, even though our particular expression of those values is different. I think a good example of that is that we, so we, we didn't buy a new car that I recall until after I sold my company in 2016. And that was like a life-changing, never have to work again moment. So obviously there was a lot of abundance at that point. And after that, you were like, I want to get a really nice car, all-wheel drive, heated seats, because we live in Minneapolis now. And so you were like, I'm going to buy a Porsche. And I was like, this is an upgrade. But it, <laughs> we went and we bought a used Porsche that was from CarMax, price, from CarMax, <laughs> half the price of an actual, you know, so like, that's how we've done it. And we were both like, this is an actual sensible decision. And when we later went to sell it a couple of years later, it, we lost like five grand on it over two years, right? Whereas if we had gone out, but we could have, could we have written, you know, a check for a brand new Porsche? Yes. But that would have just, neither of us, that makes no sense to us. But we were willing to dip our toes into a taste of luxury, you know, which I think, but it's kind of that, fr- it was, I call it like frugal luxury, <laughs> where we're- <laughs> It's like luxury on the cheap. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then I sold it because I wanted to get a dog and you can't really have a dog in a Porsche. So there you go. Didn't work. There's a groundedness to it that I, that I like. At one time you said, look, I want to get a Tesla. And you looked around for him. It turns out there weren't any used and the new ones were like $120,000. And you were like, that's too much. Like I can't justify to myself spending that much money, even though this is something I want. And I think if you had said you really wanted it, we would have bought it, but it would have felt weird to me. Other people may make different decisions. I think the point is that we have a rhythm between us of what feels reasonable. And over years and reps and lots of conversation, there's a lot of unity in that set of assumptions. And that makes it easier. I agree. And it took me a while after we moved to Minneapolis about seven years ago. You were like, let's, we got to get out of here during the winter. So we're going to travel a lot in the winter, which means, you know, there's flights and there's hotels and resorts or whatever. And I remember seeing the dollar signs on the first time, like going to all inclusive in Mexico or whatever. I was like, whoa, are we really doing this? And then we had a great time and we've realized that that is something we are doing it (laughs) and it is something we value. And so that may be like the most lavish thing we do. I remember being more scared about money conversations early in our relationship. And I feel like we figured that out at a certain point. And I will also say, so you and I don't run a business together. We are both entrepreneurs and we run separate businesses. So that's a little bit of a differentiator between uh, Boomi and Danny and our story. We have at different times needed to invest in each other's businesses or, you know, we sign off on the risks that each of us might take that would potentially affect the bottom line of our family. So that communication happens, but it does certainly happen differently because we don't run a business together. And I don't think we would do a good job running a business together. At all. We did a podcast together and we had a lot of arguments. So part of it is like, know thyself. Over a podcast. (laughs) No. Oh my gosh. I actually made a note as I was listening. Us running separate businesses has been really good. That's the note. Because 
I love giving you advice about your business. I love getting advice from you about my business. We have shared personal bank accounts and finances, but our business finances are separate. And that's actually, that's been really good because I remember making, I was freelancing on the side when I was first starting out and I just put that money into a business bank account. And I said, oh, I'm going to pull some of it into personal. He said, you know what? Use that money to grow the business. Like you keep that separate because you earned it and you should be able to do with it what you will as long as, you know, it's for the business. That freedom allowed me to write that $11,000 check that then changed my entrepreneurial journey. And then it allowed me to make these some big investments that I would have felt if it was our personal funds, like might have been irresponsible, but I was willing to risk them because they were, it was, it was sort of an agreed upon investment in your business. I remember in our first apartment and then our first house that you wanted- This is like 25 years ago, whatever yeah, no, he was going to say. I just want you to know is. that. I've grown it, it as a person. <laughs> no, all I'm saying is you you wanted to, <laughs> you wanted to spend more money on like home furnishings and frames to hang on the wall and whatever else to deck out the apartment and then the house than I was comfortable with. As you said, money to you is experiences and and you enjoy luxury, even though you're frugal, you enjoy that. Honey, money to me is the freedom. shit I was buying was from Target. So no, when I you know. use the word luxury, <laughs> just dial that in. I just want the people to know the truth. We're talking new furniture from Target. We lived in that apartment for months without a table and chairs. So people would come over and we would sit on the floor. And I remember one of, one of our friends, Deanna, came over and she was wearing a skirt. And she was like, I wasn't aware we would be sitting on the floor. That was only for a few weeks when because we first moved we didn't in for the furniture. But we, and did we didn't have get cardboard a bed boxes. frame for like a year after we yeah. were married. Bed frames are kind of overrated if you think about it. Okay, so. So you can see we've never had disagreements about money. No, what happens mostly is that whatever I want to do, Rob says no. And then I make fun of him about it incessantly. And then he gives up. And then I do what I want. That's a decent summary. <laughs> That's a not inaccurate summary of how we interact around it. And it used to be an actual no, and now it's just a trolling no. And I know what's <laughs> going to happen. A joke. Yeah. <laughs> You've just given in. I will say maybe a, an interesting story to talk about is we were on a trip in Thailand with our kids, and we'd taken a month off. We were just having this really wonderful trip. We'd built it around a conference that Rob was speaking at. So part of it was covered. Of course, it was frugal luxury. That's the category of life that we live in. But there was a point in Rob's business where he'd had this, you know, sort of the bad combination of spending too much and not enough revenue coming in. So it was the first time in his life as an entrepreneur where it looked like he was not going to make payroll. And he was so stressed and so distracted that it was it was interesting because I was upset about it, not because of the money. Like, I totally appreciate that, like, very reasonable, logical business people sometimes get that equation wrong and things go upside down and it doesn't work out. But I, I was frustrated about it because it was taking all of his bandwidth and we were on this great trip. And I was like, look, yeah, that sucks. Shit happened. But here we are on an island off Thailand. Can you be present with us? So I think sometimes that's the part of the money conversation that can get really tricky is just the amount of emotional energy that it takes either for both of you or for one of you. And then the other partner is like, well, I guess I'm just standing by until you figure this out, um, you know, which was a bummer on that particular occasion. 
It was. That's one of my regrets I talk about. When people ask me if I ever regret selling drip or growing drip, I say no, but I have some regrets along the way, and that's one of them. Because that was a very difficult year for me, and it should have been less difficult. It was kind of my fault, you know, that I leaned into the negative emotion of it and just couldn't, I kept spiraling and couldn't get out of it emotionally. And so after that, I said, I'll never do this again. Like, I'll never let that happen to me again. I'll figure it out. And I haven't. That was the last time. Never let it get that stressful. Yes. I've done riskier things and I've run closer to the wire, but I just said, I'm not going to stress out about it that much. And that's been true since then. You know, I think that's the long game of being in a marriage is patience. It's sort of like, I think you're going to come out of this at some point. (laughs) And granted, it wasn't the full year. I missed, I mean, it was probably three months, four months or something. And it happened to be during that time of, of the trip. Yeah. Honestly, I think also like Rob has been by my side as I went through graduate school, got a PhD. Like I've done very difficult things in my professional life that have taken a ton of emotional energy and anxiety and where I've been sort of this shadowy version of myself. And so I understand that as part of the journey. And so I think I have a tolerance of waiting for him in that kind of a dark night of the soul for a few months. And then it's kind of like, I'm waving the flag, like, you got to come back. This isn't okay. So that kind of communication and patience together, I think, is what's helpful when, you know, we go through difficult things in our personal lives and they affect our relationships adversely. All right. Is that it? I mean, I suppose so. We could, of course, go on longer, but I think we should stop. Well, let's do the credits. Thank you so much for listening to For Better or For Work. I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. And I'm Rob Walling. You can find out more about us at sherrywalling.com and robwalling.com. Hard to remember. And uh, zenfounder.com. For Better or For Work is part of the Mira CFM Podcast Network. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson and Mishi Lance put it together. Danny Eney is the executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. If you like the show... Follow it and leave a starred review. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Eney, executive producer of Mira CFM and lead instructor of the Hybrid Course University. If online courses might be a part of your business plan for this year, you'll be interested to know that from May 22nd through 25th, we're enrolling into the new AI edition of the Hybrid Course University. And we're offering the entire program on a pay-what-you-can basis, so you set the price that feels right to you. If you want to check out the details and maybe get on the notification list so you can join when the doors open, head over to miraseat.fm slash hcu.